I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You're listening to Alone, a love story. And I'm Michelle Parisi. Chapter 7. Protection. The Kindness of Strangers. It's been three days since the bomb dropped. I'm driving home from work. I've slept maybe two or three hours the past few nights, and then only with the help of sleeping pills and whiskey. The pain in the place where my heart once was is something awful. I drive straight up to the liquor store and buy a bottle of Southern Comfort. I'm 37 years old, and this is the first time I've ever bought a bottle of booze for the express purpose of drinking it alone. I'm pretty sure everyone in the store can tell there's something wrong with me. I carry the bottle out by the neck. No bag. Nothing. Even though it's February, there's some kind of freak weather system happening that's mirroring the freak weather system in my marriage. It's really warm out, and everyone's walking around in t-shirts looking slightly confused and unsure. The windows in my car are rolled down as I pull out of the parking lot, making a right turn onto a major street without looking first. I cut a car off, and the guy is not impressed. He immediately starts honking, and since his windows are also down, I can hear him screaming at me. For the next few minutes, he follows close behind me, honking the horn and yelling. I'm shaking so hard, I can't handle his anger because I'm nothing but a thin thread of a person over here. The bottle of Southern Comfort rolls on the passenger seat. The liquid sloshes along with the angry horn honking. I can't wait to get home so I can drink it. I think of how only one month ago, the husband and I were on vacation, on the beach, dancing close, talking about how we were going to do better, how this year was going to be ours. We kept calling it our second honeymoon. At the next light, the guy I cut off pulls up beside me tires, screeching. He's about 60 years old, his car covered in a thin film of winter. He leans out of his window and practically into mine, shouting at me, you want to kill yourself or something? You want to kill me? You don't have a family? You don't care about my fam? I see his face fall. He can tell something's wrong with me. I'm sorry, I thought I had enough time to turn and... He shakes his head to stop me. 
his face now completely softened with empathy and concern. Little lady, are you all right? No, I'm not all right. The light turns green, but we continue to sit there, both of our cars blocking the only two lanes as we look at each other through open windows. The cars behind us start honking, but neither of us move. His face is so kind, and he says, Lord, look, whatever it is, little lady, whatever it is, it's going to be okay. I can tell you that. Can you hear me say this truth? I nod my head. I'm shaking so hard, and I want to just rest my head on his shoulder and cry. I want to ask him what I should do. I want to ask him if he knows why we have the capacity to be so cruel to the ones we love. I want him to tell me I will survive this, and how. The cars honk angrily, but he doesn't flinch. He looks me right in the eyes and says, Believe me, you are going to be okay. Say it too. Okay. I somehow manage, and at this, my heart is reminded of its existence and begins to pump a little. I will be okay, because he said so, and look, now my heart started working again. He drives off slowly, and so do I. Life is unpredictable. Sometimes it can be so cold your bones can't stand it, and then there's a freak warm spell, and the next thing you know, you're walking around in a t-shirt, confused. Sometimes you dance on a beach with the one you love, and he tells you this will be the best year of your marriage. But a month later, he won't come home because he spent the night with someone who's already been a part of your marriage for a long, long time. Just no one thought to tell you. Sometimes a total stranger believes in you more than the person you love most. I go home and play house with my daughter and the husband. When he puts her to bed, I take the bottle of Southern Comfort into the backyard with me and drink it in the freakishly warm February air. I'm going to be okay, I say out loud to the patio table and chairs. I'm going to be okay. I am going to be okay. I'm going to be Neighbors. Every night after the bomb, I go see our close friends who live up the street. We met when our daughters were babies, and now they're about to have baby number three. We jokingly call ourselves the commune because of the way we share everything. Tools, dinners, kids' clothes... The husbands, both scientists, make beer together with elaborate setups in our cold cellar. We take vacations with them, weekend camping trips. We spend every New Year's Eve together, all of our birthdays and kids' birthdays. And so, they take the news especially hard. 
I cry and cry in their living room, drinking all their wine, while my friend, the chemist, paces. He can't understand how the husband could do this to me. He's so angry, and he gets angrier each time I protect the husband, each time I justify the things he's done. His wife, my dear, dear friend, the practical one, sits beside me so pregnant and in tears. The due date was the same day the husband dropped the bomb, but the baby hasn't come yet. I'm shamefully so grateful for this, because I need her more than anyone else right now. Each day passes and the baby holds out. On the fifth night, as I cry on the couch, I apologize for the millionth time for bringing my sadness to their house just as they're about to have a baby. The practical one shushes me and says, I think she's waiting so I can be here for you. I whisper to her giant belly, Thank you. Once the baby is born, I don't want to infect their house with sadness, so I move on to other neighborhood friends. I go out almost every night, crying at the house of whoever will take me. I sit in their kitchens and drink their rum, their gin, their anything. I go through all their Kleenexes. The husbands all have angry, tight jaws as I cry with their wives. He was their friend, but maybe he was really just a stranger. Meanwhile, for the whole two months until we move out, the husband stays home every night. I will lose my mind if he goes out, and he knows it. That I've already lost my mind is beside the point. That he managed to have an ongoing affair, mostly in the daytime, also beside the point. We never discuss it, but we both seem to know it. The husband is in undeclared martial law. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Irish blood, Italian heart. I'm selfish, he says for the 50th time, and she smashes the dining table hard with her hand and yells, Fine, but is that good enough for you? Because if not, what are you going to do about it? I want you to meet my best friend in the world. She's at the dining table with us, and she's angry. Her boyfriend sits beside her, holding their new baby, and we look at each other with the same arched eyebrow that says, Holy shit, she's good. Let me pause for a second to tell you that my best friend is one of the toughest women I have ever known. 
Irish blood, Italian heart. She takes shit from no one. She's passionate, loyal, fiercely so, but she's also sensitive. It's as if the husband has done this to her, and she's letting him have it, crying as she says, what are you going to do about it? Because you can't keep saying you're selfish, but also say you're a good father. You can't just say you're selfish and be fine with that while your wife gives you joint custody, lets you stay in this house, doesn't take you to court. So what are you going to do for her? For me? For once in his life, it looks like someone has genuinely given him an idea he's never thought of before. He turns and looks at me, but I'm so scared of what's happening at this dining table, so shocked that someone is defending me, that I've become a small, airless thing, and I can't even look at him. I feel like I'm back in grade six, when I was the new kid at school, and a group of girls circled me at recess to beat me up because a popular boy liked me. At the time, I thought I could take one of them for a bit, but I had no chance against four. When out of nowhere strides Irish blood, Italian heart, at 12 years old, already a head taller than all the other girls. She walks right into the circle and stands in front of me like a giant shield. She tells the girls, if they want to beat me up, they need to go through her first. They back away. And the two of us have been friends ever since. Now here she is, 25 years later, defending me again, only this time with tears streaming down her face. You owe it to her, she says, pointing across the table, jabbing the air in my direction. You owe it to her to do something now, not just sit there with your hands in the air saying, I'm selfish, oh well. Her words hang there for a few seconds, her finger still pointing at me as she stares at him, blue eyes blazing. Her baby squawks, punctuating the silence. When they go, my heart sinks on the driveway. My defender is gone. I stand there and stare at the gray March sky, the giant trees in our backyard bending with the wind, the years. I go back inside and he's there, still at the table, like he's been freeze-dried. He looks up and says, she had a lot of good points, a lot. What am I doing for you? I look right into his shiny, dark eyes, and I see him for just a moment, at 26 years old, staring across a cafe table, telling me he loves me. I see all the joy and pain we shared for 12 years. I see now in his eyes, remorse. This affair was something he did for himself, so yes, he was selfish. And so far, all he's been saying is, I was a shitty husband, so it's still been about him. But from this moment on, over the next month until we move out, he actively tries to make this easier on me. Irish blood got through to him somehow, protected me again.
Years later. Why are you doing this to yourself? Asks almost everyone. Why do I put up with the not boyfriendness of the man with the white shirt? They're asking because they're worried. They don't want me to get hurt, to feel crushed again. I get it, but they don't have to worry. Let me tell you a story for a second. One night, I had a really late soccer game, and we had no goalie. And since I'm the captain and also a defender, it made sense for me to play in net. Except I'm like five foot two, so it really doesn't make any sense for me to be a goalie. On this night, a guy shot the ball so hard that when I made the save, it dislocated my thumb, bending it in the most unholy, unnatural position. I screamed so loud that everyone playing stopped. It was excruciating, excruciating pain. When I got to the emergency room, the triage nurse took a look at it and asked me to rate the pain on a scale from 1 to 10, where 10 is the most painful thing I've ever felt. Um, 4? 4? Are you sure? My thumb looked like a swollen, twisted Joshua tree dangling off the end of my hand. But I said to her, Well, I've had a child, so if going through labor is 10, then this is just a 4, maybe 5? Boy, did that nurse laugh. She laughed and laughed. I'm going to go ahead and write nine. That's why when people worry about me getting hurt again, when they say I'm compromising for love and I'm going to get burned, I say, no, no, don't worry. This is just a four. On the pain scale, you know? If the husband having an affair is 10, then nothing anyone else can do will ever hurt me more than a four. And I believe myself. You can't keep breaking a shattered glass. So I don't stop putting myself in the way of hurt. I don't stop calling the man with the white shirt or texting him or seeing him. I mean, I stop for a bit and then I don't. We manage a few days, sometimes a week without contact and then we're right back where we started. And we go on like that until he pulls away again and it feels like a four because nothing compares to the husband's ten. So I don't care. I'm not afraid to love because it might hurt. I'll take the pain because it comes with moments of beauty. I know when it comes to love, there's no such thing as zero on the pain scale. So I tell my friends, I'll be fine.
You're listening to Alone, a love story. It's a CBC original podcast written by me, Michelle Parisi. The story editor is Veronica Simmons. Alone is mixed and produced by me and Veronica in our hometown of Toronto. Our theme music is by Yehenda. Explore more at cbc.ca slash alone. It's my digital scrapbook with art, videos, music, and the story behind the story I'm telling. Stick with me. I want to tell you about leaving home. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.